Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. Today we have a special episode on San Francisco Mayor Ed Lee, who died suddenly early Tuesday morning. Our guest will be Heather Knight, a Chronicle columnist who has covered Lee since he became mayor in 2011. And she's been working on her column all day today about Mayor Lee's legacy and what happens next at City Hall. Also chiming in and sharing some thoughts will be my Chronicle colleague, Peter Hartlob, who is producing today's podcast. This is It's All Political. All right, Heather, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So uh, how'd you find out about Ed Lee dying? Um, the mayor's communication team sent out a statement about 3 a.m. this morning saying that he had had a massive heart attack and had died at San Francisco General Hospital at 1.11 a.m. Nobody knew that he'd had any problems. Everyone said um, they'd seen him this week. He was happy, energetic, seemed totally normal. Yeah, and you just saw him a couple days ago, right? Yeah, I was out with him November 29th for my column that ran this past Sunday. Um, I walked the sidewalks of the Tenderloin and watched him cleaning it with his fix-it team. Wow. And what what did he say? What was the last thing that did he that you guys said to each other? Yeah, it was really interesting because um, we spent about an hour cleaning the tenderloin, and he was picking up a ton of cigarette butts. And um, at the end, I said, "Are these issues of quality of life concerns going to be your top priorities for your final two years in office?" And he corrected me, which I was surprised by, and said that I didn't know that he had two more years left in office. It might just be six months, twelve months. And then the last thing I wrote down in my um, notebook from him that day was a quote, when the end comes and that's it, I'm going to feel okay that I did everything I could to help the city. Wow. That's like, and that's the last thing. That's the last time I talked to him. Oh, my God. Did Did he talk like that often? No, it really struck me, our final conversation, that he seemed to have this idea that he didn't have long, but maybe I'm reading into it in hindsight. But I do remember feeling it was strange that he corrected me that he would have two years left. Yeah, that, that's really eerie. Um, let's we're going to talk. We're going to talk about you know Ed Lee's legacy and his history and stuff. But what what happens next? We have we have an acting mayor now, right? So by virtue of being president of the board of supervisors, London um, Breed immediately became acting mayor upon the death of Ed Lee. I learned that she didn't even have to be sworn in. It's just um, oh, really? de facto that's what happens under city charter. Um, A bunch of city officials were gathered at San Francisco General Hospital this morning um, between the time that the mayor was taken in an ambulance there and when he actually died. And somebody um, raced to Dennis Herrera's house, the city attorney, to get him to come to the hospital and, you know, dictate how this whole transition of power would happen. But immediately, London Breed became acting mayor of San Francisco. And so now, how long is she mayor for? 
So if the Board of Supervisors wants to, they can um, appoint an interim mayor. Um, that's up to them. They could just leave her in place, which um, they may do. In any case, there will be an election in June to um, decide who will fill out the remainder of Ed Lee's term, which goes through January 2020. So what's your gut tell you? Is she, is she good? Does anyone not want her to be mayor at this point? Do you, do you sense that she has six votes on the board? I would imagine she will fill out at least till June and will run in June, and we'll see what happens then. Okay. And then um, what, uh, we'll get into like who the successors will be in a second. Well, let's, let's talk about Ed Lee. This, this guy was the, the accidental mayor. He was uh, a, you know, a, a lifelong bureaucrat. He was a, um, a, a guy who was a civil rights attorney. But what I always found most fascinating about him was he came up um, in a way you don't see a lot of politicians come up these days. He was born very, you know, very humbly. His parents were immigrants. And he lived in public housing. I remember one, one time he told me that, that this is probably a, a joke that you've heard a million times, but we did a thing at the Commonwealth Club where he said um, he was so poor that at Christmas uh, he would get one shoe uh, and then he would hope he'd get the other shoe. Uh, so, and, and, and it was a laugh line, but that's what he described he was. How did that shape him as, as mayor? Yeah, so um, he grew up in public housing in Seattle, um, very poor, like you say. I believe his parents worked in a cafeteria, if memory serves. Um, and when he was um, reluctantly appointed mayor, a job he kept saying he did not want. Um, I remember his longtime friend, Rose Pack, said, he needs to get a new suit. He needs to stop driving this old Toyota Camry. You know, he needs to act like a mayor. Um, (laughs) uh, He was just a real humble guy. Um, Everybody today at City Hall was still saying, like, the number one thing about him was he he was just the same old Ed Lee he'd always been. He was very humble, very um, jokey. He was famous for the corny dad joke. Um, His mustache never went anywhere like he didn't shave it he was just the same exact same ed lee that he was when he agreed to become mayor and 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 speaking of the way he died i mean he died as you say in your column tomorrow um buying apple juice at safeway at 10 at night yeah he was just you know your average guy i actually live just a few blocks from him in glen park and there's a really nice um remodeled safeway in diamond heights and a really kind of decrepit Safeway on Monterey Boulevard where stuff's expired and it's just not it's just not the place you want to go. Ed Lee shopped at the latter Safeway. He and, was at the one on Monterey Boulevard. And does he go does he travel with uh does he have he has a um, like a police officer with him all the time or not, or sheriffs or not? Um he does. I don't know if they were at Safeway with him okay, or not. I'm just curious. Um so he went to uh he grew up there and then he went to Bowdoin College in Maine. This is an all white liberal arts college in in, you know, all the way across the country, and he got a scholarship there. If memory serves me, and then he, um, uh, you know, he said that uh, his roommate would say I, I confused him for Bruce Lee or something like that. He, I mean, is that the story? How that story goes? Or yeah, I think that he was one of the very few Chinese people to go to this liberal arts school in Maine, and so people heard the last name Lee and figured he must be related to Bruce. <laughs> but he did end up becoming San Francisco's first Asian. Mayor, which mm-hmm. was a very proud moment for our huge Chinese community and Chinatown in particular. So he came back here and he became a got on the political radar as a civil rights attorney, and I think that's where he made his first appearance in the Chronicle, right? When he uh, uh, when he was there doing that kind of work, Peter. Yeah, Joe. It, it was um, D- Julia Wong died. It was a, a woman in the I think Pingyun Housing Project, 
and it created a big uproar. But there were issues before that. When he was at UC Berkeley, there were police sweeps, and he saw the injustice in there and I think was attracted to that. Um, we did a feature on him in 1984, and wow. he mentioned about how his mother worked in the Seattle Garment District. And his first quote and biggest quote was, my wife thinks I'm nuts for doing this. Like, why are you in this practice? <laughs> but he stayed in it for years. He ended up um, getting a staff job with Art Agnes and um, was very much the prototypical tenant rights lawyer. I mean, he was very working for low pay for a long time. Standing up winning, he he got some changes in the Chinatown housing, got a name for himself with people like Randy Shaw and other tenants' rights activists at the time. And the the Chronicle quotes him often, but not memorably. I mean, very much like Ed Lee, all of his quotes kind of run together. I think he was um, really good with the people that he was representing. Um, And you didn't read, you know, I read these old stories all the time and you can tell the people who are like, you know, able to give a shining quote. This was not a guy who you're like, oh, that's going to be a mayor someday. That's a political (laughs) climber. I mean, he, he was someone who you thought was going to be someone's aide. Right, right. And, and a guy who was a good in the bureaucracy and, and such. So then he, how did he become, how did he go from tenants' rights activist to uh, City Hall? Um, Art Agnes, the mayor in the 80s, hired him as his first um, job at City Hall. I believe he was originally in the Human Rights um, Commission. And he just took a series of government jobs after that, including um, head of Department of Public Works and then um, city administrator when he was tapped to and become that, interim mayor. That's a big job, right? So yeah. of, that's a big department, right? That's um, basically uh, running the whole city totally behind the scenes, not political. But that's just the kind of guy he was. He really was the city administrator in all senses of the word. And you could say that he was that way as mayor, too. Like Peter said, not good with quotes, not good with the press, um, but just kind of a behind the scenes, working hard kind of normal guy. I remember my aunt was a, on the board of supervisors and she was a treasurer. And I remember Susan, hear, Leal. Susan Leal. And I remember hearing Steve Kawa and Ed Lee were the names you always heard is like the people who were running things behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Never. I mean, it was a shock to me when what happened happened, you know, and he quickly became our mayor. So let's let's go to that. How did he become our mayor um, after working for three mayors, uh, uh, Agnos, Willie Brown and Gavin Newsom? Newsom's elected uh, to be uh, lieutenant governor. Then what happens? So, yes, Newsom was elected to go to Sacramento, but there was still one year left on his term. And it was up to the Board of Supervisors, like it could be now, to pick who was going to become the interim mayor. And there was a lot of behind-the-scenes haggling. There were a variety of people um, that different factions of the supervisors wanted, but nobody of none of them had six votes, and that was the problem. So um, Gavin Newsom stepped in and uh, said, let's have Ed Lee. He'll just be this interim placeholder. That was the big word, placeholder. He's not going to run for office. He's just this guy who knows how to do the job, and then the voters can decide. Um, he was actually traveling in Asia, and um, I think it was Newsom. Somebody called him trying to get him to say, come back, come back. We need you to agree to take this post. He really didn't want to. His wife really didn't want him to do it. Um, a lot of um, conference calls with Steve Kava, Gavin Newsom, and Ed Lee. Finally, he agreed, and he had the votes. So then he, what changed from not wanting to be mayor to – and this was only over, over a few months' time, right – to – Running said, "No, I'm I'm going to run." I mean, I remember that's about the time I did the Commonwealth Club thing for with him. He was like, "Nah, I'm not going. I'm not really interested." Blah blah blah. What changed? 
So um, what changed was that his friend Willie Brown and Rose Pack then had somebody in office who they were politically aligned with and they really wanted him to um, run. And they waged a campaign solely based on convincing him to run for a four-year term called Run, Ed, Run. You saw these um, placards all over the city with this face with a mustache and Run, Ed, Run. And it worked and he agreed to run. Um, And then he not only won the four-year term, but a second four-year term. Yes. Well, we, we would be remiss in not noting one of the great political ads of all time, which is uh, the one featuring Hammer. <laughs> and and then uh, great Brian, uh, Giants reliever Brian Wilson, um, in, a, in a hilarious ad, uh, uh, riff on one of Hammer's tunes. And um, you couldn't get a more incongruous pairing than, than <laughs> Hammer, <laughs> Hammer and Ed Lee. Um, and, but it kind of like made him kind of a, a meme almost. Uh-huh. Like Ed, Ed Lee's mustache had a, had a Twitter following, remember? Um, so it's like, oh, my God, they, they actually breathed life into a guy who was a you know, lifelong functionary. Yeah. Um, so, okay. We, uh, so he's, he's talked. Well, let's talk about how he will be remembered. Um, what is, what's the duality of Ed Lee's legacy? Right. So what I wrote about was um, just how this everyday guy known as Steady Eddie at City Hall um, really remade the city in a dramatic way. If There's so many respects in which you think about what San Francisco was like in early 2011 versus what it's like now. It's almost an entirely different city. Um, the skyline has changed with the Salesforce Tower. It went from really struggling in the Great Recession, an unemployment rate of about 10 percent to now mm. less than 3 percent. Um, he created 140,000 jobs. It became a real center for technology, Uber, Airbnb, Pinterest. Um, so many tech companies have their headquarters based here. Of course, Twitter being a prime example on mid-market um, but then there were a lot of negative side effects of all of that success. Um, I looked up the average price for a home when he took office versus now, and um, it went from 650000 back in 2011 to $1.5 million wow. now. Obviously, that has squeezed out so many people, even rents. Um, I found nobody back then would have guessed that in 2017, you'd be paying $2,700 in rent in the Bayview or $2,400 in rent in the Tenderloin. It has squeezed out so many people of color, um, poor people. The homeless problem has, of course, become so much more visible with the 10 encampments in Potrero Hill, south of Market and the Mission. Um, so there's a lot of pluses of his legacy, but also a lot of minuses. And I think the biggest takeaway from me is just how different San Francisco is. What do you, where do you see you, you talk about some of the differences there um, look, you've written a lot about mid market and such what that's that kind of illustrates the duality there you have you know for years it was you know place you kind of when you want to walk down that area of town you kind of go into break into a light jog um, but then he uh, offered tax breaks the Twitter tax breaks the area changed a little bit but yet a lot of people were forced out what how is how have you seen that change there and you You've gone back there a number of times with them. Yeah. Um, It's so interesting because the city is so wealthy. We have a $10 billion city budget, which is more than many states in this country. Um, Twitter's right there on mid-market. So many companies, Dolby, um, others are right there. People are buying $20 salads for lunch. and um, It's just an area of such high wealth, and yet... 
there's so much desperation, too. You can't walk between City Hall and our offices here at the Chronicle at Fifth Dimension without seeing people injecting drugs in open daylight. Um, so many homeless people, um, so much misery. It's just a tale of two cities in so many ways right there in the middle of San Francisco. What was he like um, when the when your notebook was closed? You've you spent time with him over many years. You've covered City Hall for over 10 years. Um, what was he like, you know, when you weren't, when it wasn't the press conference was over or the interview was over or what have you? Uh, the same. He was just always the same. He would occasionally tell a corny dad joke or um, tell maybe a funny anecdote, but I never felt like I really got to know him. He always felt like he kept the media at arm's length for sure. I don't think he was ever happy to see us. Um, he would kind of go through the motions, but he he would probably just as soon never see his name in the Chronicle. Um, he w- didn't seek headlines. We never hung out privately. Um, I don't, I mean, it was just always, you know, very workaday. I never felt like I knew the man behind Ed Lee because he didn't want to show the media that side. What would he do? Now, you've, you've, you've taken him on a number of times on a number of different issues, homelessness, uh, the, the, the drug abuse uh, uh, all over the, the city. What was his reaction? You know, some politicians, we will <laughs> remain nameless now, are prone to, you know, picking up the phone and all hours of the night and call you and chew you out. Would Ed Lee ever do that? Would he ever personally call you and say, Heather, what the hell are you doing? No, never. That never happened. I picked on him a lot, and I know his staff was mad at me plenty of times, but he never said one word. Um, never, He never called me about anything, I don't think, good or bad. He just didn't want to see um, reporters... <laughs> ever <laughs> when he would see me he would nod and say heather and then keep going <laughs> that was that was it i thought shopping at ten thirty <laughs> that just seemed i mean i don't know like an ed, ed lee thing to do yeah as someone who lives in that neighborhood uh that safeway is just not where you want to spend your time, let alone at 1030 at night. Um, But it didn't surprise me at all that he went there because it was a little more nondescript and closer to him than the much nicer one that's not very far away. Um, But I remember when I saw him the other day in the Tenderloin, I said, um, you know, we live so close to each other. Where do you like to go in in the village in Glen Park? And he said he'd been to the French restaurant there twice, but that was it. He just wasn't out and about. He... um, just really kept to himself. I think he much preferred to be at home with his wife and just lay low. When and we have, of course, a series of, of uh, big personality mayors here in San Francisco, Newsom, Brown, uh, even Agnos to an extent. Um, what when people see him on the street, would they recognize him? Well, you just didn't see him much on the street unless mm. it was a very orchestrated ribbon cutting. Or yeah. yeah. Um, so the fact that. I literally never saw him in Glen Park, even though we've lived blocks apart for years. Since wow. 2010, I moved there. Um, he's just not out. And I don't think a lot of San Franciscans would recognize him if they if they did run into him. Wow. He's just such a nondescript guy. Okay, let's talk about some of the people who may replace him. Uh, we already have someone who's, <laughs> who announced months ago that they're, that they're running for the seat in 2019. An unusually early start. That's uh, uh, former state senator Mark Leno. Um, a former uh, member of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, who else is going to be... Uh, I was trying to look at the, the, the City Hall uh, uh, thing today. I saw some a lot of people in that picture, that the frame there with the, when Lennon Breed was talking about uh, what's happening next. Um, 
I would say London Breed and Mark Leno are definites, and then there'll probably be a host of other supervisors. A bunch are being discussed um, in the rumor mill, but um, nobody else has declared whether they will or will not. We'll also see you know, how the sped-up election affects things because they thought they had two years, and now they have about six months. Um, but some other names that have been floated are Supervisor Mark Farrell, from District 2, um, Supervisor Jane Kim from District 6, who had a pretty strong showing for state senator but lost to Scott Weiner. David Chu may come back for another try. He's an assemblyman now, who former president of the board. Um, Carmen Chu is um, discussed sometimes. She's the assessor recorder. Um, but people are going to have to make decisions a lot more quickly than they would have, so we should know some answers very soon, I would think. Thank you to Heather Knight for joining us today. Thank you to Peter Hartlaub for joining us today and for producing today's podcast. And thank you for listening to It's All Political. You've been listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Our executive producer is Fernando Diaz. Our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. And our producers are Peter Hartlaub, Brittany Schell, and Claire Varellis. It's all political's theme music. We have theme music. is called Cattle Call by Randy Clark's Crow Song. The Chronicle's Josh Zucker, who is our podcast's musical director, is on bass. If you like what you heard, listen to Chronicle Podcasts and get bonus content at sfchronicle.com backslash podcasts, plural, or subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, or other streaming services. <laughs>